Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Peter Fadul to the show. Peter is the Associate Manager of the Sustainability and Circular Economy Program at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation's Corporate Citizenship Center, where he contributes to the Foundation's original research, programming, content, and convenings in corporate sustainability. Peter brings particular expertise in climate solutions, including clean energy and electrified transportation, and circular economy themes, including recycling and recovery system optimization, circular business models, and alternative materials innovation. Peter, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Raj. Thanks for having me. Peter, thank you for being on. Peter, where are you currently located? I am in uh, my row home on 13th Street in Washington, D.C., so close to downtown. (laughs) (laughs) You're in the middle of the excitement, aren't you? Certainly, certainly. Just trying to weather the storm here. How's the weather in D.C.? Oh, it's it's perfect today, actually. Fall is probably the best season weather-wise um, in this area, and I grew up in Northern Virginia, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with it. Well, good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. So, Peter, I'd like to open the show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Yeah, thanks for that question. I would say that... Um, one aspect about me that's that's important to what I do now, um, I come from a, a pretty international background. So my family is actually half Lebanese on my father's side. And so I, I grew up with sort of a, a global, global upbringing and perspective. And I think that informs in many ways what I do now. You know, these are global challenges that we face in terms of, of um, reaching a you know sustainable future and um, they require kind of communal and, and global solutions um, and I also I'd say my the the desire to get involved in this in this industry in, in sustainability really crystallized in um, my study abroad trips I was, I was very fortunate to be able to study in, in Argentina and and South Africa um, so it was very very uh, eye-opening experiences. Can you perhaps share some of those eye-opening experiences? What influenced you specifically? Sure. So I actually have one um, story that's that's pretty that's pretty good uh, representation of of what I learned there. So um, in Argentina, we stayed with uh, host families there. And the the family that I was paired with was um, just a, an older woman by the name of Estella, who w- was an Argentinian woman who w- uh, lived in in the province of Cordoba her her whole life, which is the second biggest pro- province in Argentina. 
And it was just her by herself at that time. Her, her kids had, had moved out and um, <clears throat> I was living with her for the whole summer of the study abroad trip. And um, during uh, one instance, I, I had accidentally left the lights on in my, in my bedroom. And Estella saw that and, uh, was, came to chastise me and was very upset and, um, berating me completely in, completely in Spanish. (laughs) Um, and I, I heard her out and, and turned the lights off and, and went about my day, um, and felt, uh, a bit ashamed, but it didn't really, um, click with me because that's, I feel like that's a, a quite common habit in the United States is to leave the, you know, leave the lights on. Um, so I went about my day and a few weeks later, it, it actually happened again. And I left the lights on and this time Estella came to me and, and was, um, instead of angry and upset this time, she was, she was truly sad and, and fearful. And I realized it was because she literally could not afford to be wasting energy like that. And that moment really hit me and has, has sit with me for, um, ever since that time. And just, and and it just really crystallized, you know, how, how much people care for resources and energy in other countries and how we could maybe do a better job of that in the United States. And, and I knew I had always wanted to do something mission-based with my career, but that was when it truly clicked with me um, what exactly to, to focus on. You know, this might date me a little, but I was telling my children a story recently about how I remember being a small child in London, and this was in the 70s, mm-hmm. and I remember we had to put a, in London, you know, the currency comes in pounds and pence, and we had to put a 50 pence piece in a meter in order to get gas in the house. And so being um, conscious about how much energy we use, whether it's electric or gas, was extremely important to us. And I remember when we moved to America, I moved to America much later when in my late teens, but I was surprised at just to your point, people leaving the lights on, leaving the water running. We got our first apartment and it was, you know, quote unquote, all bills paid. And it's like you hit the utility lottery because... You can't believe that, wait, you get unlimited hot water and unlimited electricity and, you know, don't even mention call waiting. That's a whole other thing. But just having unlimited utilities was a very, very, quote unquote, foreign concept at the time. Certainly. And I think that experiences that kind of break you out of that comfort zone can can be food for the soul and, and definitely nurturing of, of other perspectives that are important to have in mind. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that. So, Peter, can you give the audience an overview of the U.S. Chamber Foundation and your role at the organization? <clears throat> sure. So, the, I work for the, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation. I'm the associate manager of the Sustainability and Circular Economy program there. Um, the Chamber Foundation is the, the 501c3 affiliate of the, of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is the, the largest trade association association in the world. It's been the voice of business for, for thousands of, of companies um, across the United States <clears throat> and internationally. 
um, for, for over a decade. And whereas our, our counterparts at the chamber focus on, on policy advocacy and, and policy design, we focus completely on the kind of what, what I characterize as best practice education and, and amplification for the, for the private sector, um, specifically regarding kind of the key corporate responsibility and, and societal goals that businesses are helping achieve. So we like to say that we help businesses do well by doing good. Um, I work in what's called the Corporate Citizenship Center, and we cover a wide range of issues, including diversity and inclusion, um, economic empowerment, disaster response and resilience, tech for good, and my portfolio, which is the Sustainability and Circular Economy Program. Operationally, in terms of what we actually do on a day-to-day, um, we have a, a couple different pillars that that we um, uphold. So we we produce original research that fills kind of unique knowledge gaps in the field. Um, other long and, and short form content, such as editorials or blogs or webinars, um, events such as large scale conferences, which are obviously virtual nowadays and more intimate roundtables where we can dive deep on, on certain issues. And then continuing in that kind of collaboration vein, um, coalitions that we form to solve certain problems through sustained coordination between um, a, usually a cross-sector group of, of companies. And it's important to note that we, we, we don't just work with the private sector and companies, though that is sort of our, our core. We, we work very closely with local communities, um, academic institutions and research groups, other NGO experts um, and government officials in, in order to channel kind of both the, the experts and the, the practitioners on the, on the private sector side and, and be the conduit between them. So you mentioned many issues that are top of mind right now, sustainability, circular economy, uh, diversity and inclusion. Can you share from a tactical perspective how you help businesses navigate some of these issues? Yeah, I would say that one of the biggest strengths of the chamber and the and the chamber foundation is being that voice of the business community and giving them a safe space to work collaboratively on these issues and again channeling those experts from other sectors and then packaging those learnings up to help other businesses and and the general public accomplish those same goals, um, whether it's in sustainability or in diversity and inclusion, economic empowerment, again. Um, So that's that's kind of our role as a a 501c3 is, is how do we channel these terrific best practices from all of these um, private sector actors and help them overcome their key challenges, but also help other businesses do the same. So let's say I'm a business owner and I want to perhaps get engaged regarding sustainability or learn about how I can perhaps have a more circular economy within my own organization. How would you walk me through that? How does the, how does the foundation walk a business through that? Yeah, I would say that we assemble a really um, robust bank of resources across all of those kind of main uh, core competencies that I listed, whether it's white papers, case studies, uh, those are a big one for us as case studies, because we think those 
uh, are, are the kind of the most replicable um, pieces of content that we have, where you get a glimpse into what the leaders in the space, which are, are typically larger companies, you know, you think of the, the Googles and the, and the Microsofts that you hear in the news with their extremely robust um, sustainability commitments and, and efforts. And then we try to package those up and um, present them in a way that's helpful for businesses that are, say, just getting started and also convening those those businesses in the same room as the as the leaders um, proves to be a really inspiring and, and useful conversation. So it sounds like part of your program is almost like a mentoring relationship. Right. I would say that we, it's it's more about um, kind of getting the umbrella of, of resources together and then getting these companies in the room with one another so the experts can kind of work out their um, questions with one another. And we, we find that that peer-to-peer advisory and, and collaboration is is extremely powerful um, in helping businesses kind of move along the the pathway of of sustainability from from laggard to to leader, if you will. And how have you seen businesses navigating, you know, issues around sustainability, especially during this time of COVID? Yeah, that's that's a really good question and I would say that it's been one of the pleasant surprises of this year that we are seeing an acceleration of of these sustainability efforts in spite of the pandemic and I think that a lot of that is is coming from the fact that you know the pandemic and other monumental events of of, of this year are are making all facets of society um, especially businesses re-examine kind of what's imperative and and building for the future is is one of those imperatives, right? So I think that myself and a, and a number of other pundits in the space could have easily um, anticipated a, a slowdown in sustainability efforts for this year, but in fact we're seeing a, a true a true acceleration. Of those sustainability efforts, and I think you'll see that contrasted. You know, in the beginning of the year and, and late last year, you saw some some monumental commitments from, say, Microsoft or J.P. Morgan Chase um, or BlackRock, and those have only um, we've seen no no decrease in the kind of number of those commitments and frequency across other actors. We've been, in fact seen an, an increase in those in those numbers. Now I'm going to switch gears here a little um when i was looking through your website i came across this milkman model are you familiar with that uh yes in terms of like a circular economy and take back programs yes can you can you share a little bit about that milkman model and the future of consumption yeah so i can use that analogy to speak to kind of the the circular economy in general i think what that is enumerating that that piece might have been um specifically might have been um, before before my time here, but I would say that um, in terms of the circular economy, that is one tactic for designing waste out of the system. So how do we provide goods and services to, to consumers without generating the waste typically associated with those 
products and you know those those typically are associated with consumer packaged goods but there's there's ways to do this with with things like capital equipment and capital assets as well um I'll give you one really interesting example. Uh, there is a company called Algramo that's that's based in um, Chile, and what they do is they essentially partner with um, consumer packaged goods companies to provide uh, staple products and staple goods uh, to consumers in in reusable containers that have smart chips embedded in them, so they can actually track those track those containers and what it does is it allows for more flexibility for these consumers to get the goods that they need um, without having to pay for that packaging there's actually a phenomenon they they call it uh, it's essentially a, a poverty tax is how it would be translated in English but essentially these um, Low income, low income consumers have to buy in small quantities usually, and of these of these staple products. And every time that they are paying for those goods, they are paying in in a small part for the packaging that they come in as well. And with Algramo, they are able to buy solely what they need and um, remove that kind of packaging cost that's associated with buying those products in small quantities each time. So I think that's a, that's a really interesting um, example of intersectionality between kind of um, sustainability and, and economic empowerment where you're able to, um, these consumers are able to reap both the, the financial and, and environmental um, benefits of the of the circular economy. You know, while you were speaking, I was thinking about. It's been said a few times that the first trillionaire is going to be someone that's involved in the broadly speaking clean tech, green tech, sustainability sector. And while I don't encourage anyone just to chase chase financial gains, I think that there are so many different opportunities, especially with technology. You mentioned the smart chips coming to light now where, you know, perhaps companies or individuals can really take a hard look at, you know, what could be considered end of life for a product and think about how instead of just end of life and end up in the trash or in the, you know, waste or in the landfill, what does end of life look like? You know, and I, and again, I love the idea about the milkman because again, the story of London, we always used to put the bottles out, get new bottles every day. We would wash the bottles, they would go back and it was just part of life. Um, same as, you know, carrying now, now we look at taking our own grocery bags to the grocery store as, you know, almost normal. Now, a lot of people that I know have these, you know, reusable bags, but slowly, but surely over time, if we as a whole or a collective can start thinking more about that end of life. And I think the part that you really touched on there, that's really important is the inclusivity part of it. And what I mean by that is that not just the people that can afford to participate in this movement, but also considering the people that can't afford to part participate and how we can include them in the movement. Yeah, certainly. I think that's very well said. And there's, there's numerous other examples of that, um, that span things like, like energy as well, that I'm, that I'm happy to touch on. Um, but yes. I think that Algramo example is really good. Please, please do share the energy stories. Yeah. So 
one of my personal favorites. So um, this helps the overcome the challenge of uh, what's called the an, an energy burden um, and the higher energy burden that that um, some underserved communities and, and financially challenged families face. So energy burden is essentially the the share of um, the share of household income that is spent on um, electricity, heating and cooling, transportation, etc. And um, Google has a really awesome program. They they have acquired Nest, which is the the smart thermostat company, obviously. Um, and they've engaged in a, in a partnership with Consumers Energy, which is a utility in Michigan, um, to provide, I think it's something like 100,000 of these <clears throat> smart thermostats to electricity customers ac- across their region, and many of which are um, part of you know underserved communities or low-income communities. And what they're and they they provide them for free and and what they're able to do there is essentially um, use all of the features that these smart thermostats have kind of innately to save um, to save money on on energy bills and and reduce kind of heating and cooling loads across these different households. And they're also able to engage in, in, a, in a, an amount of demand response, which it, for, for folks who aren't familiar is essentially a, any kind of system that, that manages the flow of, of energy into um, customers' endpoint of, of use for those uh, for those products. So for instance, they're able to shift um, heating and cooling use away from peak load times where energy is at a higher cost for these for these customers. And so through all those features, they're able they they're able to use these smart thermostats, which they provided for free, to save those those underserved customers money on their energy bills and then also and reduce that energy burden but also um, you know realize some really tremendous environmental benefits uh, uh, heating and cooling is is the is the single largest load um, load share for for households um, across the United States that's that's true I think demand response is going to become a real necessity going forward. I am honestly, in full transparency, apprehensive or hesitant about letting Google or any other large company, <laughs> you know, from a data perspective. But if they could clean that, you know, if they if they could allow me to have that peace of mind regarding the data, I think there's a great opportunity there. The examples I've given is that, you know, I live in a master plan community, and I think if we all had, you know, smart thermostats and the thermostat kind of knew our patterns, coming and goings of the house, who's in the house, not in the house, and there is a you know, a, a load issue, like in the middle of summer, they can adjust the thermostats by a couple of degrees higher, that would essentially relieve the load on the grid. So I really do think that DR is going to play a much larger role going forward. Certainly, certainly, that's kind of on that. It's already taken taken root in, in many places in the United States. But I think it's on that that cusp of, of really taking hold kind of nationwide as we move forward. Absolutely. So Peter, I'm going to switch gears here. And come to the crux of our conversation, which is the why behind what you do. You know, you mentioned your travels earlier, but, you know, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile and I see 
your background, you've been involved in energy work, and now you're involved with the U.S. Foundation. With your skill set, you could be doing many other things. So what motivates you? What drives you? What's your why to stay engaged in this line of work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, personally, and, and just in terms of being involved in sustainability in general, I'd say that this prospect of helping solve one of, if, if not the biggest challenge we were facing and will face as a society in, in achieving a sustainable future, that is a super humbling um, thing for me and, and something I take great pride in uh, being a part of. And then in terms of kind of private sector sustainability or corporate sustainability, one of the things that um, convinced me to get involved in this line of work was just the, the leadership demonstrated by some of the largest companies in the world to, to set and achieve these ambitious sustainability goals and really how important that is to the movement of sustainability as a whole. I mean, these are, these are truly market and, and paradigm shifting efforts that we get to be a part of in terms of amplifying them and helping them overcome kind of key challenges and, and also spreading their, their methods to other companies, other cities um, other NGOs. So, um, that is really, uh, why I say, why I'd say I, I got involved in, in corporate sustainability. And then that's not to say that there aren't other, um, very, very important sectors. I, um, started my career by helping start up a, a nonprofit in, in Charlottesville called Generation 180 that was focused on, um, helping, consumers and and communities embrace their role in the in the clean energy transition so we talked a lot about um consumer level technologies like residential solar and and personal electric vehicles and how those have kind of changed the game in terms of individual decarbonization but also um we had some some really impactful community level programming i i managed a a program that was focused on uh, solar development and deployment on on K through 12 schools uh, throughout the country. So, again, bringing it back to kind of the whole picture, I, I, I am humbled to be a part of the corporate sustainability world currently, um, just due to the kind of uh, momentum that that it can generate. Um, but there are also a number of incredible sectors and, and great work going on within those sectors to um, advance a sustainable future. Where does your desire to help stem from? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I would say it, it, it dates back to when I was, when I was younger, I, I certainly um, was like many kids who wanted to be a superhero or, uh, you know, a police officer when they grew up, um, and help fight bad guys. But, um, you know, as I grew up, I realized there were, um, a lot of different ways to kind of help people. And, um, this just feels like one of the best ways to help the most people, um, in mass, uh, though, you know, the time horizons on, on how these efforts will help in the future are, are quite long. I, I still um, take a lot of pride in, in 
kind of setting us up for success now. Well, you know what they say, not all superheroes wear capes. <laughs> well, I can I can hardly uh, claim that label compared to, um, you know, some of the healthcare workers and, and others that have played such an important, important role um, in this moving forward. So um, I would say that those are, you know, that's a, just another uh, very crucial and an immediate way in which um, people are being superheroes out there these days. Strongly agree with you. So Peter, what are some of the most valuable lessons that you would say you've learned about yourself on your journey? Yeah, about myself, I, I would say that I've, I've grasped a, a pretty good understanding of all of the different um, aspects there are to sustainability. And it's not just about energy consumption or fuel consumption. Um, in in transportation or um, waste to landfill, it's the combination of all of those different aspects of sustainability working in in harmony with one another and being able. You know, I consider myself a storyteller in, in some regards. That's that's a lot of what what we do, um, and being able to tell stories around how those can all fit together and how they can work in concert and complement one another um, is something that I've been, I've been very uh, fortunate to, to learn about as, uh, as my career has progressed. I love the idea of storytelling. I think it's the most powerful way to convey information. Mm -hmm. so yeah. And I would say that those, again, the case, I mentioned case studies, earlier in the interview, those are, um, some of our, what we, what we think is some of the most powerful storytelling out there is having those kind of real world ethnographic stories, um, that we can tell to help demonstrate that these things are, these, these efforts are, are possible. They have, um, tremendous benefits and, and here's how to achieve them. We kind of call it actionable storytelling as, as I like to lovingly refer to it. Um, and I know we are about to release, um, our latest case study, which will be focused on climate action broadly. And that will actually examine about seven different, um, companies from different representative sectors and how they're approaching that through either transportation and logistics through UPS, um, manufacturing through Royal DSM. Um, telecommunications from AT&T's perspective, among among several others. So, and all of those sectors that are in the the case study are are super important um, to decarbonization and zero waste goals. Um, so, we're excited for that to come together, and it actually should be um, released in the in the next week or so. I look forward to seeing the study, and by the time that comes out, I should be publishing this episode. So, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Certainly, that would be great. So two last questions. One, let's say there's a business owner right now listening in, thinking how they can get involved in the circular economy or, you know, sustainable future, sustainability. What would be the best step for them regarding getting in touch with you to perhaps learn more? Yeah, certainly. I would say visit the, the Chamber Foundation's digital properties and site. I'm also happy to provide my 
um, contact info and that will be uh, readily available and, sh- and should be already on our site and things like my LinkedIn. Um, so I would say that's that's one way to get plugged into the, the Chamber Foundation um, and the great work that, that we do uh, generally. Another thing I would say, and I'm, I'm glad you asked it this way, I would say that folks learning, looking to get involved with sustainability in their, in their company, um, I would say there's a, a huge opportunity to look to where your company can make, whether it's your company or your organization, um, your government agency, look to where you can make the most impact, um, even outside of your own kind of enterprise operations or your direct footprint. So I can give you an example of that. Um, Citibank and and Wells Fargo, for example, are two uh, obviously of the uh, biggest banks in the United States, and and um, they are part of the kind of close supporter network of companies that we work with, and they both have really really ambitious um, sustainability goals, um, and a, and a large part of those goals focus on their kind of what I call enterprise sustainability or what that what their direct footprint is. But they also have really, really significant environmental finance goals. So Citibank, for instance, I think just set a a new goal of about $250 billion worth of environmental finance that they've committed to uh, between now and I believe 2025. And that's building on a $100 billion commitment that they made between 2015 and, and 2020 that they achieved early. So you can see where they're not only focusing on say their their bank branches and kind of the the obvious environmental footprint they have but they're also flexing their financial muscles and and really knowing what they're good at and using to using that to affect kind of a sustainable future for for everyone another another key example that that I love um, national geographic has obviously a, a huge, maybe the the world's most renowned storytelling platform, and they they use that to tell stories about the environment and how it's changing and solutions we need to implement to um, protect that environment. And they're uh, a partner that we've that we've worked with as well. Um, we had some of their speakers on our on our latest sustainability summit series. Um, to talk through some of that, h- how they approach that through their their grant making and their storytelling efforts. Um, so that's just another example of where they they realize kind of their their core strength and are using that to affect um, sustainability as as a whole. I appreciate you sharing those examples. So, last question: If you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, it could be professional or personal. What would it be? Yeah, I would say professionally, uh, back to what I just said, if you can put um, kind of critical thought into that and and approach your your leaders with ideas on how to how to get your company in, involved in in these efforts, that would be a, a tremendous win if if we did that across the country and across the world, even especially for companies that that are not fully engaged in these issues already. And then personally, I, I would just say, 
um, keep the faith. I'd say we're at a really um, interesting time in history at this kind of crucial outset of the the decade of action or the the decade to achieve uh, the the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and we were also hit with this pandemic and the other crucial events of this year in in 2020. And when you see the kind of acceleration that is happening in in sustainability among all of the other crucial issues like diversity and inclusion, like economic empowerment, it can be um, really heartening and, and inspiring. So look to those examples and draw draw energy from them and, and use that to either uh, affect these affect these positive changes in in your personal life or within your company like like I mentioned before. Peter, I think keep the faith is a great place to end. I've so enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks so much Raj. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be on the podcast. Thank you Peter. Before we go, I'm excited to share that we've launched our comic strip, The Adventures of Mira and Nexi. You can find the first issue at our website, nexuspmg.com, under the Original Content tab. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.